Welcome back, Sparklers, to another episode of Ignite Your Spark with me, your host, Kim Duff Selby. Yay, thanks for tuning in today. Okay, I have a really special guest. I say that every week, don't I? Anyway, Renee Linnell is my guest today, and she's super cool. I'm going to read you a little bio about her, which is really not about her. She's just remarkable, and I'm going to say she's a badass, totally. Renee is a former surf model a professional Argentine tango dancer, and a serial entrepreneur with an executive master's in business administration from NYU. Her first book came out in 2018 called The Burn Zone, and that was a memoir of her experience as a cult survivor. Yeah. And now she has her second book called Still on Fire, a memoir. And honest to goodness, I was blown away by this book. Renee, you have done so much. Yes, you were in a cult, a dancer, model, and you're just remarkable. So I know that you have a lot that's going to ignite sparks in people. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Kim. It's so nice to be here. Uh, Oh my gosh, you've been through so much. But before we get into you and your tale and your, what you've learned throughout life, I'm going to ask you my little question. How do you ignite your spark? And take that however you want to take it. <laughs> okay. I ignite my spark by being as true to myself as possible and honoring my inner guidance as much as possible so that I'm no longer betraying myself and I'm living an authentic life moment by moment. Awesome. And tell me how long it took you to get to that point. (laughs) Well, I turned 49 in July and I would say, I think I probably had it figured out until I was about five. And then I went through what we all go through, which is the conditioning of domestication, right? And trying to please all the adults around us and forgetting who we are. And so then it took from probably age five to age 49 to figure it back out again. (laughs) Yeah, I was this many days old when I figured that out, right? No, but I mean, you had glimpses of it throughout your life, certainly in the variety of things that you have done and accomplished, I'm sure, right? Well, I always was the weird kid. And so fortunately, I guess my heart always forced me to follow my own way versus the herd. Um, And so I did... I have had a wonderful, exciting life and, and I'm extreme. So when I do something, I do it full steam ahead, which can sometimes have devastating consequences, but I'm <laughs> definitely not going to have regrets when it's all over. I'll have done everything I ever wanted to do. And seriously, no one, until you read this book, you're, well, hopefully you get a little taste of Renee through this conversation, but I, I'm reading this book. Renee has done everything. She has lived in circumstances that there's no way in hell I would ever live. I mean, like when you've done your traveling and your surfing and just the experiences, you must have always had that inner strength to draw on to, to get through some of these experiences. Well, most of my family died when I was young, um, leaving me with just my mother and father and twin brother. And then my father died on Thanksgiving Day when I was 15. And I was pretty much on my own from there on. Um, And I think I learned 
so quickly at such a young age that any moment it could be over. And so mm. I think that, and then my father was captain of a landing craft infantry in World War II and five invasions. Oh. And so he always had that feeling that he shouldn't be alive and every day was a gift. So he was a big risk taker, especially in business. And so I think I just kind of learned, we never know which moment is our last. So let's make sure we're doing, we're living, we're truly living, let's just say. And so I think that's what gave me the courage to really go full steam ahead into life. Yeah, you did suffer tragedy when you were quite young and you are not finished forming as a human being at the age of 15. No way, no how. So you had to do a lot of your forming after that. And you left home shortly after that as well, didn't you? I did. My mother um, was not the best mother. She was an alcoholic and very emotionally abusive to me. She was wonderful to my twin brother. Um, so I left home as soon as I could at 17 and went to college in California and then in Florida and then moved to Hawaii and then started surfing and modeling and traveling the world. I think 50 countries before I turned 35. Yeah, that, that is truly remarkable. And the gifts that you have learned through that are gifts that most people probably never learn or receive in their entire life. Is there something that really motivated you to go from one thing to the next? I know you said it's really grabbing each day by its moment by you know by its horns or whatever and riding it full steam ahead but but what is it that kept you going to another adventure was it just completing one and then finding another did you just have that burning in your soul to keep going and finding I was soul sick so I had this magnificent life traveling the world and modeling and dating all the pro surfers and financially secure and well-educated. And I had this deep sadness inside. And when I looked out at the world, it seemed like everyone else had it figured out but me. And, and there's nobody talking about having the dream life and being sad and being soul sick and feeling empty. And so it was no matter what I did, uh, nothing filled that void. And so I was constantly seeking. And that's what actually led me into the Buddhist cult. Yeah, we got to talk about that. <laughs> I love it. Like, you know, I'm reading certain things on your website is great, too, and your blogs and everything. But it's like, oh, my guru told me to do this and her guru told her to do that. And then you were like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's not real. Why am I following him? You gave your power away. Oh, completely. I mean, totally and utterly and ruined my life in doing so. Well, obviously, it was not ruined because you've come out the other side. But at right. that time, it did ruin it. But boy, is it a good story. <sighs> well, and it's funny because with all the interviews for the first book, The Burn Zone, I kept getting labeled cult survivor. And I thought, you know, I'm just Renee with a wild story. And it's a great book and it's a page turner and it parallels all other toxic relationships. So there's a lot of good wisdom in there and guidance, but it's, it's a heck of a story and, and I lived it. And now it's just one of those, that was weird things. Yeah, it is weird, but something that most of us uh, cannot even grasp 
right. you know, because it's, it's really so unique. And I really just want to say how fabulous your writing is. And I don't like to do like, oh, promo books on my podcast kind of thing. That's really not what I'm about. But I just, uh, your book is just like talking to a wild friend. You know, like talking to your wildest friend who goes on the coolest adventures and you kind of wish you were there, but you kind of don't too. <laughs> you know, I had to fight to keep my writing style that way um, because I do write in fragments and run on sentences, but I write the way I would tell you a story in my living room. And, and I love that it took a lot of self-confidence to insist that my story be told my way in my voice with my writing style. And the most consistent feedback I've gotten is how easily read, how readable it is. Yeah, it really is. And I want you to share a story because they're so great. And the way the book is laid out is it's almost like little different stories. I mean, until you get to the end and then it kind of all comes together, which I obviously get as an English major was your purpose. Give me a story. Give us a story that's inspiring. I mean, I can thumb through and choose one, but do you have have one? <laughs> so I just, I just opened my book and he goes, the butcher. I hooked up with a 26-year-old butcher from Whole Foods. I'm 47, by the way. Oh, my God. I was dying on that. I I loved it. I don't know if that's the story you want to tell, but come on. You are just... I'll tell that story. Oh, you're so open and vibrant, and, and it's just awesome. It's inspiring. You are inspiring. Okay, I'll shut up. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And the reason I am so open and honest and raw and vulnerable is to inspire. And I hope that, that my writing does inspire because we are here for such a short time and we're meant to live in joy. And each one of us is unique and we're meant to really celebrate the ways we are unique. And it's interesting about being brainwashed in a cult because I realized we're all brainwashed by the media that tells us constantly that we're not okay and that we're ugly and that we're not successful and we have to buy their products and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I write the way I write just because I want to say like, these are all the funny, crazy, silly, weird mistakes I've made. I'm sure you've made similar ones and let's just all laugh at them and celebrate them. Yes, you are giving us permission to celebrate our own silly mistakes, which is cool. Really cool. All right, tell me tell me a story. Okay, so the, story. the 26 year old butcher. <laughs> so I hadn't dated for so long because I was so broken. And then I decided maybe I could date again, but I had to date, you know, I was waiting for Mr. Wright. And Mr. Wright was taking his own sweet old time showing up. He wasn't showing up. And so I started reading the surrender experiment and decided to start saying yes to whatever life presented me. I woke up and I said, I'm going to say yes to whatever the universe presents today. The universe presented the 26-year-old butcher from Whole Foods. <laughs> and it was so cute. He saw me shopping and he waited for me in the lobby. And, um, and I promised I, myself I would say yes. And so I walk into the lobby of Whole Foods on my way out to the parking lot. And he says, um, he goes, you are so beautiful. Are you single? And I said, yes. And he goes, my name is um, Gunner. And what's your name? I said, Renee. And he goes, may I get your phone number? And I said, yes. And then he said, 
can we get together sometime soon? And I said, yes. And I had this moment where I was floating above my body going, who is this woman? All she says is yes. So anyway, I allowed him to spend some time with me. And after our second date, he wanted to stay over. And I hadn't been touched by a man for so long. And I was so uncomfortable. And he was so young. And I just wanted to send him home. And he was so sweet. He said, I just want to worship your body and love you and touch you and and make love to you. And and you're used to being alone. And you just want to send me home because being alone is comfortable for you. And I think you need to be uncomfortable. (laughs) And he was right. And so... That chapter of the book, I take the reader through my romantic interlude with the 26-year-old butcher, which I botched completely because I was so nervous and insecure and weird and uncomfortable, and he was so young. Um, But it's funny. And as I told my girlfriends about it, they were laughing out loud, and they said, you have to put this in your book. So it's one of the few, well, one of the many romance stories in the book. Oh, yeah, there are quite a few. (laughs) There are definitely quite a few. It's interesting how the universe absolutely sent you who you needed, when you needed it, and all of the trials and tribulations and the experiences clearly were building on themselves to get you to the point where you are, right? Yes. And in the opening of the book, it opens with a 24-year-old tennis player that asked me out, right? And I said, no, because, well, I thought he was too young. And then I was single and celibate for almost a year. And when I decided to say yes to the universe, the universe sends me a 26-year-old butcher. So I thought, well, clearly the universe wants me to be with a young man. So I need to say yes to this. Well, your experiences, instead of aging you, have made that the reverse. They've kept you quite young. I, I think so. You know, I youth is it's life force energy running through us, right? And and I think so many of us get old because we get afraid of the world and we think we can't and we think we shouldn't or we get mad at at everything, all the chaos out there, and we want more and more laws to corral it into something safe. And I think what keeps us young is is just saying yes to life, however it appears. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, being in my third act, I totally embrace life and try new things. And I am always telling people to do that. I don't care what your age, you can get stuck in a pattern, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 or beyond. Especially though, we've got to keep the neuroplasticity in our brain as we get older growing so that we continue to glow. Ah, yeah. (laughs) And we have to be uncomfortable, right? I think that's the hardest part as we get older, we create such safe lives and we're comfortable in our home and with our partner and in our job or whatever. And then we don't want to be uncomfortable. I think that's why people are so miserable in airports and on airplanes, because it's so out of our control, right? They can't control any of it. Um, Yes. Yes. Stepping out of your comfort zone is so vital to growth. And obviously, we all, everybody was forced out of their comfort zone or back into it, I don't know, over the pandemic. Right. Probably a little of both because everything was out of our control. We had no control. Right. Well, I was traveling. I was taking advantage of empty airplanes and empty hotels. And I was, tra- I traveled so much during all the lockdowns that I became Premier 1K on United. <laughs> That's right. I read that. 
Sorry, but I interrupted. You were going to say something else, probably very oh, much wiser. Say, you know, I think when we're kids, we're uncomfortable all the time, right? We're forced to be uncomfortable every moment because everything's new. And and then as we become adults, we get so used. To, I got so comfortable in my house when I was healing that I was terrified to go out into the world again. And so I do think, you know, a call to action would be make yourself uncomfortable. <laughs> Yes, I agree. People out there make yourself uncomfortable. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, I know I should. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I like where I am right now. Now, you say when you were healing, when you were healing after the cult or one of the other things that happened in your life? <laughs> the cult thing really shattered me because I burned almost everything I owned and I destroyed my whole life and alienated everyone I loved and stopped trusting my own intuition and um lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it just was a disaster. Ended up in the New York tabloids. I mean, disaster. And so I had to put all the pieces of my life back together after that and myself and my sanity. Yeah, yeah. How long were you, uh, I guess, quote unquote, in the cult? It's funny when I tell stories, I always say <laughs> BC before the cult and AC after yeah. the cult. Um, yeah. Seven years. And, then, and it was really started as I know this is in your other book, which I have not read, full disclosure, but it started, it was sort of like a spiritual thing, right? That it's Yeah, it was tantric Buddhist mysticism, but it was also um, corporate professional, personal professional development. And so she was a woman straight off of Wall Street. And um, she said in the East, people have these beautiful spiritual practices, but they live in poverty. And in the West, we make all this money, but we're soul sick. And so what she taught was to have a really strong meditation practice in the morning and then use our career, our job as our spiritual practice during the day and bring the best of ourselves to every second at our job, which would have us get promoted and make more money and create a life where we could meditate better and give back to the world through philanthropy. So on the yeah, side, that sounds like, good. Yeah. And my tasks in it were like, get an MBA from one of the hardest business schools in the country, get a black belt in karate, study computer programming. I mean, it, it was great on the surface. But, <laughs> but yes, be, beware. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So scary. I mean, really, it, because it sounds so great, you know, in purpose. And now where are you in terms of your self-development? Are you satisfied where you are? Are you happy? I am. It's, you know, it's so fascinating, this human journey, right? Because I, I know for me, every time I think I have it all figured out, I find out I don't. And so, and I'll have days where I go, I am in so much joy and so content and I love my life and everything's perfect. And then I'll wake up the next day where nothing's changed and I'm, I'm pessimistic, I'm afraid, I'm filled with self-doubt, I think it's all going to end, you know, but at least now I know when those mind states come, they're not real and that they'll pass. And I try my hardest not to betray myself anyway, um, any longer. And so I do have a really, really deep sense of joy underneath even the days when I'm angry or sad or scared or filled with self-doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think that's human. I, I definitely have those days. Do you think that's the ego talking that's trying to keep us safe and in our comfort zone and, oh, you're not okay? I don't know. What would you call that? 
I don't know if it's the ego or if it's mass consciousness. I kind of think we're all very psychic. Um, you know, you think you think about a friend and that friend calls or you're on a bus with somebody who's really angry and suddenly you can feel exactly like you feel angry. And, you know, so and I think there are 8 billion people and kind of unfortunately mass consciousness says we should be afraid and anxious all the time. Um, and so I think no matter how much joy and contentment we hold, we get hit with those waves of mass consciousness thinking. And then, my gosh, you turn on social media or the news and you get bombarded with it. Yeah. You know, that that is interesting. That just puts it, puts it into perspective for me because I do. I go through these incredibly high highs, joyful, the world is great, this is wonderful, things are turning out the way they should. And then the next day, boom. And you're like, no, everything's d- depressing. And I'm going to blame it on mass consciousness now. <laughs> well, and you think we live in the world of dichotomy, right? So as, as above, so below. So for those of us who hold so much joy and optimism and faith and trust and love and all of that, when we go down, we go down just as far as we go up. And so I think it's just knowing like, oh, no, the clouds rolled in. Yikes. Okay, how can I not wreck havoc in the world while I'm feeling like this, you know, don't send the emails, don't send the text messages, <laughs> try not yeah. to make travel plans. Put yourself in a straitjacket so you do yes. nothing while it's yes. happening. Until the light comes back. And you know what's interesting for me, and I'm thinking about this in terms of you as well, is when I am in that, and then I do something that I really love, or that I quote unquote, have to do, like host a podcast interview. Something that I love gets me right out of that, right out of that funk. I'm like, oh, I may go back into it after I have completed whatever it is, whether it's a yoga class or an interview or whatever it is. And I may go back. But that really, if you can find something to focus joy on, that's going to help you. And you've, you did a lot of that. You looked in a lot of different places for joy and you found it. You could be in the little shack in wherever you were and you were finding joy. Do you think that's true? Yes, I I do. I mean, I think that our mind is what creates hell in our life, really, right? And what you just said is when you do something to distract the mind, suddenly you feel better. And then once that distraction's over, um, then the mind can go back and do its weird things. And so I've learned just trying my hardest to pull myself into the present and or do tasks when I feel really, when I'm in a really weird mind state, like I'll organize the house or do dishes or laundry and just those tasks help. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You did say a lot, whether it was in your blog or the book about being present, how important that is. Do you think that would be, if you had to summarize what you have come through to this point, what you have learned, like the top three things that you would share with someone about what they could do to live a more authentic life, as you were saying in the beginning, really live true to themselves. What would those three things be? One of them would definitely be present. Um, Mm. Because when I was doing that first book tour, and I my interview schedule was so crazy. And I kept hearing this little voice in my mind that said, don't miss this opportunity with this one person. And I would notice, say I'm at the airport, and I'm buying a bottle of water. And when I really paid attention to the person behind the cash register, she had beautiful 
turquoise fingernails, turquoise eyeshadow, and turquoise earrings, and sparkling. You know, and I would have missed that moment of sparkle if I wasn't paying attention, if I wasn't present. Um, so really noticing, especially with each other, I think it's so easy to run into the FedEx store and mail off your package and not even notice the, the person who is an angel, really, in human form standing behind the counter. So I would say if we can really slow down enough to be present in the moment, we our life becomes so much more rich. That's one. And the other is gratitude. I think mm -hmm. for whatever reason... <laughs> If the human journey is a journey of a spoiled child, you know, it's like we have air to breathe and water, our most precious resource falls from the sky and we bitch about it. Oh, I'm getting wet. <laughs> and, um, you know, mm. food and shelter and all of that. So really being grateful for all that we do have. Um, and then the third thing would be to find what brings us happiness, um, what we're good at those little things and, and stop making excuses for not doing them, do them daily. Um, you know, people who, for example, my brother loves fishing. He never goes fishing because he's too busy with work and his family. And it's something that brings him so much joy. And so we need to stop making excuses for not doing those things. Okay. There's a book right there. Those three, those three were lovely reminders. Things I all know. I mean that I know all about, but don't always practice. I have worked so hard on being present. What is your suggestion for being present? Is it stillness and meditation during the day? What would you recommend for people to do to constantly remain present? I would say, look at the to-do list. First of all, is it all necessary? You know, um, I think that we're used to being constantly on the go. We get put in fight or flight mode from the moment we're kids with school and after school activities and homework that having downtime is uncomfortable for a lot of us. And so we fill our time to the max with social engagements we don't even want to go to half the time. And so I would really say start looking at your to-do list and, and cut out the things that don't bring you joy if possible. You know, why cram in that dinner after a 10-hour workday when all you want to do is go home and take a bubble bath? Because those people might think badly of you will make yourself more important. What do you think of you? Yeah. Um, and then once you have only the essentials in the to-do list, it's much easier to be present. Such great reminders. Such great reminders. I'm a huge believer in gratitude. The first thing I say in the morning when I wake up is thank you. You know, I can always find something to be grateful for, always. And being present, that's the one I have to work on the most. And I think most people do. You're right. We are really easily distracted. Thank you, Instagram, TikTok, social media. Yeah, I mean, it's there's always something to do. If they add one more show to Netflix, I mean, I feel like the world's going to blow up. There's just too much out there. What happened to looking at the trees? I'd do that. I don't have those trees. Well, Renee, those are really great suggestions. And I appreciate your sharing those really, you know, sort of off the cuff. I didn't know I was going to ask you that. I just knew you'd have a good answer. And you did. So thank you. Is there anything before we sign off that you might want to share? I guess I just want to say to everyone listening, um, this life is so short and we're meant to live a life of joy. And even though we look out in the world and the media wants to show us so much sadness and pain and hatred and fighting, 
Um, the truth is we're beings of love and we're here to love, love ourselves and love each other. Um, and so, and each one of us is unique and we need to celebrate that. And so if we could stop trying to be like everyone else and just be ourselves and do what brings us joy and love the person, be kind to the person in front of us, we have so much more fun and the world becomes brighter. I agree. I agree. I mean, we, we need everybody's light. There's everybody has a light inside of them. And if they find the thing they love doing, that light's going to show. So thank you for bringing your words into the world, too, for people to read. I love it. Your book is the second book, Still on Fire. And where can people find you, Renee? On my website, ReneeLinnell.com. That's the easiest okay. way. That'll lead you, lead everyone everywhere they need to go to find out more about you. And I'll put that in the show notes. And I really recommend this book. It is so much fun. Let's call it an end of summer read. How's that? <laughs> a great read anytime. And you can just pick it up and read a, you know, a story. Oh, it's so good. You are, you are a remarkable human being. And obviously your purpose on earth is to share the stories and the life that you have led so that we all learn to really step outside of our comfort zone. You really make that clear. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Thank you for all your kind words and for your beautiful light. Oh, thank you. And to all of my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. See, you know, Renee's book, Still on Fire. It's got that light, that spark reference, which I love. So go out there, find what you love to do today, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Do something that you love, because then guess what? You're going to ignite your spark and shine on and give other people the permission to ignite theirs. So thanks for tuning in. Walk through life. Every day is a new beginning. Shine your light. It's a day.